Hey everyone, welcome to episode 104 of Medusa's Cascade Collateral Damage and the second ARC episode. I'm your friendly neighborhood DM, Tom, and I've got a couple of things to cover before we get into the speed run of the next seven episodes of the campaign. First and foremost, thank you for sticking with us for 103 episodes. That's just bonkers every time I say it. Uh, second, we are going to be switching to a bi-weekly format for this actual play. So not next week, but the week after, the third ARC episode will be released. It will cover episodes 15 to 21. This is for logistical reasons and for some mental health reasons as well. Uh, on the bright side though, we will be premiering new content starting at the beginning of the upcoming year, and I will tell you about that on the next episode. So keep a lookout for that. Third, if you have the opportunity, please check out our social media accounts on most major platforms. Just search for The Medusa's Cascade on the platform and give us a follow. We'll have art, animatics for the early phases of the animation project that has spawned from this campaign. Uh, it's some really cool stuff and worth your time checking out. Finally, if you're listening on a streaming platform, especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify, uh, please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. doesn't seem like a lot, but it does help get the podcast out there for other people to discover, and we would appreciate the love and support. So, without further ado, let's jump into the absolutely crazy second ARC episode, Try, Try Again. They leave the Medusa's Cascade in the early morning, going to the Burgomaster's house at the request of his son, Ismark. The manor looks old, creepy, and unkempt. The team is hesitant about going into a house after their last traumatic experience. Buckle up, Buttercup! Glad declares to the team. Sex gives Glad her bow back, thanking her for lending it to him, and starts to admire his new short bow. The party makes their way to the tattered manor through a weed-choked front yard. With a large fist, Galahad knocks on the door. Stabbing his great sword into the ground next to him, he declares that Shanks do the talking and gives him an intimidating glare. Shanks is caught off guard by this. Okay, so who sent us? He asks the rest of the party. 
The burger guy? Glad replies, thoroughly creeped out by the appearance of the manor. The burgermeister's son, Ismark, Zex corrects. Okay, well, I'll let y'all handle all the talking since you know more than I do. Shanks declares uncomfortably. We were all given the same information, Zex replies, exasperated by the back and forth. Well, I know you don't want me to do the talking, Kyra chuckles. There is a bit of pause in the conversation, then. All right, I'll do it, Riaqua declares. Argyle immediately chimes in. No, 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 not him. Not him. Riaqua looks disappointed. As the party bickers amongst themselves about who will do the talking, a young, fair-skinned woman opens the door. It's the Burgermeister's daughter. A beautiful woman named Irina. She informs him that the Burgermeister is dead. It has been for several weeks now. She tells him that a pale, hauntingly handsome man named Strahd is visiting her in the night. But she doesn't remember anything that happens during these visits. We Aqua ask for a description and starts to draw him. While We Aqua works a sketch, Irina shows the party the two sets of bite marks on her neck that are different stages of healing. We Aqua finishes their description of the man that Irina described, and the drawing is incredibly accurate. Irina is frightened by how much it is. Glad is deeply disturbed and asks if Irina would come with them to escape Strahd. Ismark, as well as the rest of the party, agree that it's the best course of action. He asks the party to take his sister anywhere but to Castle Ravenlock, where Strahd lives. The team is willing to help them, but Kyber wants to get paid for helping. Shanks and Argyle also agree that they should be compensated for the task. However, Weakwa and Glad disagree. Ismark tells the party that he isn't wealthy, but has some influence in town. Argyle asks if Ismark can talk to the local shopkeeper to lower the prices on his merchandise as payment. Irina butts into the conversation and tells both the party and her brother that she has no intention of leaving the village. She argues that she is not a helpless damsel in distress and doesn't need to be whisked away. After some back and forth, Irina finally agrees only on the condition that the party takes her father's body and lay him to rest across the village in the chapel cemetery. The party agrees, and Shanks and Galahad lead the makeshift funeral procession to the cemetery. While walking to the church, Zack sends Duo up into the sky to do some scouting, and he spots something strange. A water genasi, a kanku, a wood elf, and a goliath leaving the tavern behind them. Duo flies down to Wiaqua and relays this to them. Wiaqua understands and tells the group that there's another Genasi like himself, but doesn't fully relay the rest of the message. This sort of catches the party's attention, but doesn't fully register as they're more focused on burying the former burgomaster. Minutes later, they arrive at the chapel, where they meet the priest, Donovich. His eyes are sunken, and he looks like he's in a bad way. He greets the party and thanks them for bringing their village's fallen leader to be put to rest. He extends his hand and prays over the body. Suddenly, an inhuman scream rings out from underneath the floorboards. 
Zex and Galahad use their respective abilities, primeval awareness and divine sense to detect the undead presence within the chapel. Father, I'm starving! A pharaoh voice cries from underneath the chapel. Donovich explains that they must not go to the basement as the screams are coming from his son. Donovich tells them, a little more than a year ago, my son Daro and several others were lured out of Barovia by a wizard in, the, in black robes. By all counts, the wizard is dead, and I thought my son was too. He's not my son anymore. He struggles with telling the story, almost as if he is reliving the moment. I can't send him into town, and I can't kill him. No, this is a place of God. Zex cuts in. Thankfully, I'm not a fan of religion. I can take care of him for you. You cannot kill him on these grounds, Zanovich protests. I understand. This is a holy place and he's your son, but as he said, he's not your son. All I'm asking is if you want us to put him to rest. Zex replies carefully. If it's any consolation, I am a man of faith. I follow the teachings of Bahamut and he watches over my blade. I hope that you can trust that we only wish to do what is right. Glad reminds the group that they still have to lay the Burgermeister to rest. Everyone concedes that they should do that before anything else. Realizing that Donovich isn't willing to part ways with his son, the group decides it is not their problem and it's time for them to go. Weakwa tells the priest that if there's anything they could do, they will. On their way out of the cemetery, Argo reminds Ismark of his agreement to talk to the shopkeeper. They head back to Bithra's shop, most of the party going inside while Weakwa waits with Duo outside. The party can buy some of the merchandise at what would be the regular price, but is still left unsatisfied as the selection is a lackluster one at best. All but Shanks, Argyle, and Kyber leave the shop. Shanks tries to sell the ring he found in the death house, but the shopkeeper offers less than half of its value. The three of them decide to steal from him as a payback for being a jerk. Shanks and Argyle run a distraction for Kyber to steal some potions of healing. By asking rapid-fire questions about how much their different weapons would be worth, their plan seems to be working. However, Kyber has a different tactic in mind. He casually makes his way up to the counter where the other two are, and in one fluid motion, grabs the owner's head and slams it through the display case, knocking him unconscious. Kyber steals five of his potions, but gives one to the guy on his way out. Moments later, the party hears from outside the shop, Periwimple, after them! The party laughs at the name, but out of the front door comes a rather tall and buff-looking man with an angry expression on his face, followed by Bildris, who is covered in blood. Irina and Ismark are shocked by this and look to the party. Bildris points to Kyver, exclaiming, It was that one! Don't let him escape, Periwimple! The rest of the party takes a step back from Kyver, but he is unfazed. He looks over to Irina and says, Don't look at me. He slipped and fell. With a critical success on his deception check, Irina... Ismark and Periwimple believe him. The shopkeeper is confused. I did not slip and fall through my display case. But there is nothing he can do as Periwimple pulls him back to the shop. Come on, uncle. Let's get you cleaned up. With that, Irina hurries the party out of the village. 
As they leave the area that surrounds the village of Barovia, the party sees an old gallows made from a gnarled tree. As they approach it, the party sees what looks like an old corpse of a human swinging at the end of the rope. However, Kyver sees himself at the end of the rope, and it makes him feel very unsettled about the next leg of their journey. Using his primeval awareness, Zex detects a massive amount of undead energy emanating from the large castle on the cliff to the northeast that overlooks Barovia proper. He relays this to the party as they make their way into the woods with their new charge. On their journey through the forest, they come upon a familiar sight of a Zanti camp. But the closer they get to the camp, the more they realize it isn't just another camp, it's the same camp. They make their way in and ask to meet the matriarch of the caravan. The very same woman that they met in the fall greets them outside the largest tent. I knew you would come, Madame Eva declares. You are here on a mission, a quest to free this land. She beckons them into the tent and takes out her tarot cards. Ah, the Three of Swords. Go to the mountains and climb the highest tower by the Golden Knights. There you will find your first treasure. Miyakwa stands to mouth his next card almost perfectly. One of stars, go to a place of dizzying heights where the stone is alive. There is where you will find your second treasure. She pulls out the next card and Miyakwa, mimicking her voice, says exactly what the card is. Four of stars, look for a home guarded by a great stone dragon. There you will find your final treasure. Madame Eva is caught off guard and stares at Weakwa in disbelief. Weakwa replies with her stunned expression. It's okay, I'm freaked out a little bit too, he exclaims. Realizing that they won't be receiving any more mystical knowledge from the caravan, the party asks for horses to aid on in their quests. Madame Eva tells them the animals that they have are for their livelihood, and that none can be spared. The party concedes and makes their way out of the camp and back into the forest. Galahad reluctantly gives Wiyakwa a piggyback ride, warning, If you make one horse sound, I won't, Wiyakwa quickly replies, making clicking noises instead. Even here in the mountains, the forest and the fog is inescapable. Ahead, the third road splits in two. Widening towards the east, the party sees patches of cobblestone, suggesting that the eastern branch was once an important thoroughfare. Parked at the fork of the road, pointed east, is a large black carriage down, drawn by two black horses. The horses snort puffs of steamy breath into the chill mountain air. The side door of the carriage swings open silently. Irina is frightened by the scene, and the party decides to head away from the carriage. They eventually reach the gates guarded by two headless statues. The gates open on their own. The party takes a rest for the evening. The watches are all very quiet, both in terms of things happening around them and the discussion between those awake and watching. In the remaining moments before the dawn, 
and mist rolls through the party's camp revealing a tall, pale, hauntingly handsome man in formal attire standing above Galahad. Zex and Atros awaken the rest of the party. Before anyone can make a move toward him, Strahd whispers something to Galahad, charming the paladin into protecting him. The party is frozen in fear as Strahd then glides over to Irina and gently touches her face. Wanting to protect her, Weakwood wild shapes into a panther and charges towards Strahd. The party tries their best to defend their charge, but Strahd seems to have an answer to everything that they throw at him, especially with Galahad trying to stop the party from attacking him. Glad, Kyver, Atros, and Ryaka all try to stop Strahd, but it's ineffective. The party talks amongst themselves, saying this guy isn't a joke and that he is toying with them. They're not sure if they can take him. As they're having this discussion, Strahd leans in towards Irina's neck and bites her. Weakwa charges Strahd in panther form, but transforms back into their regular form and tries to stop him. Strahd thanks the party for looking after his bride. The party is confused by the statement, and after much debate, the team decides to leave Irina with him. The party shakes off the harrowing experience and makes their way toward their destination without their charge. Meanwhile, Kyver hears whispers. They call for him to the windmill in the distance. Kyver manages to convince the rest of the party to check it out. They make their way to the rundown and seemingly abandoned windmill. Immediately upon entry, the party is hit with a foul smell and croaking coming from a chest in the corner of the small ground floor enclosure. To their right, they see a set of spiral stairs leading up. Glad and Weakwa make their way up them and are met by a woman with pastries. Weakwa gives the woman a coin and asks for one. Glad has warning bells off in her head and convinces them not to eat it. Glad points out the blood on her apron, but Weakwa is too focused on the pastry. Downstairs, Galahad uses divine sense and detects three undead presences. The woman with the pastries tries to convince Weakwa to eat a pastry. Before he can take one, the party realizes what is happening and they engage in combat with the woman, who turns out to be a hag. After the party significantly damages her, she cries out, SISTERS! Two more hags appear from the top floor. The party manages to defeat all of them, Shanks firing the kill shot on the original with a trick shot. The remaining two decide this isn't a fight that they can win, so they flee. Glad, Galahad, and Weakwa make their way to the top floor to check on what sounded like children they heard during the battle. They find that they've been sold by their parents to the hag. They ask to be taken to Ismark and Irina, and the party is a little bit cagey about the whereabouts of Irina. They search around the windmill for anything of value, and find some jewelry, potions, and a strange magic dagger that looks to be made from both steel and bloody bone. As they leave the windmill, the journeyman messages Shanks to see how things are going. Shanks replies with the situation at hand, and the tavern appears minutes later down the way. Uh, our intrepid adventurers make their way into the tavern and order some drinks for rest. The journeyman begins to ask Shanks and the rest of the party what was going on. The battle is explained as well as the ordeal with Irina and Strahd. Upset by this, the journeyman stops time to have a private conversation with Shanks. Shanks explains their confrontation with Strahd in more detail and about the dagger that was found in the windmill. The dagger is called Bloodlust, and Shanks decides to give it to Kyver. Seeing that Kyver received a new weapon, 
The rest of the party decides to ask for new stuff too. The journeyman asks the party to make a list of things that he can keep a lookout for. He also suggests talking to the artificer, Atros. Shanks takes him up on this and Atros crafts a couple of vile arrows for acid. Atros also makes a bag of holding before retiring for the evening. During the long rest, Kyber receives a vision from a dark and malevolent force within Barovia. The entity tells Kyber of the gift of Strahd's power, the arrogance in its wielding, and their disdain for him and what he has done with their gift. They offer Kyber a deal. Dispose Strahd, kill the party, and rule over Barovia the way they intended it to be. Keep the dagger, gather a gift in the Amber Temple, and gain the power that Kyber craves. Kyber accepts their offer. Following the rest, the party is dropped at the Solenka Pass to make their way towards one of their objectives. Moments after the tavern leaves them in the cold and windswept terrain, it appears in front of them and walks out another water genasi named Sirius. They learn that he is a cleric of the Moonweaver, and he received the same deal as the rest of the party. The team continues up the pass in search of the first treasure, the Three of Swords. Ahead, through the wind and snow, they see a high wall of black stone lined with spikes and topped by statues of demonic vultures with horn heads. Set in the center of the wall, a closed iron portcullis, behind which burns a curtain of green flame. On the other side of the dark wall, gripping the mountain's edge is a guard tower of white stone topped by golden statues of mighty warriors. Wiaqua wants to touch the green flame. Argyll convinces him that he should touch it since he's fireproof. Argyll gets badly burned, but not as badly as Wiaqua would have been. Wiaqua and Sirius use the cold to their advantage and cast shape water to create an ice lift. The party manages to go over the gatehouse wall. But once they reach the other side, they realize that the statues are not what they appear to be. The statues shed their stone outer crust and two rocks fly down to attack the party. The party puts up a fight, but Argyle goes down. Seeing his comrade go down, Shanks rapidly fires several hours and kills the one responsible. Gaining ground, the party gangs up on the other one. While the final blows are being dealt to the creature... Wiyako catches one of Zek's arrows mid-flight in their mouth and stabs the creature with it. Galahad goes down with a strike from a dying Varrock, but Kyver uses this as a chance to take it out for good. The two clerics make their rounds to heal those that were hurt during the fight. Zex is pissed about what happened in the fight, especially with Wiyako. Shanks and eventually Wiyako make their way over to smooth things over. Wiyako offers to make arrows out of ice and give the two archers some disposable ammo to have a shoot off. This seems to help and once everyone is healed and rested, they make their way into the tower. It seems to have been abandoned for years. The party slowly makes its way up to the top of the tower. Ten foot tall, gold plated statues stand atop the battlements, facing outward. Each one depicts a female human knight holding a lance. The cold wind stirs the snow, under which they see Human skeletons clad in rusty mail. The swirling snow assumes the forms of thin, young women, 
the wind howls. Be gone. The treasure is ours. The party jumps into battle with the undead specters, guarding something that had to do with their first tarot card. It's a hard-fought battle. However, the fight is within the cleric's and paladin's wheelhouse, with Sirius, Glad, and Galahad leading the charge. The encounter ends rapidly. Upon defeating the guardians, the party finds a dusty old book. It turns out to be the personal journal of Strahd himself. Some of the party then decides that it would be a good idea to melt down the statues of the Golden Knights that surround the top of the tower. Hilarity ensues. Half of the party stays on top of the tower to work on the statues while the other half makes their way down to the ground. After some time, the group on the tower decides to just topple over the statues and get them to the ground and worry about melting the gold off later. Riaqua volunteers to wild shape into a bear and drags it towards the gateway while Argyle kind of helps and pushes it from the back. While the shenanigans occur, the tavern shows up in the interior of the gatehouse Porculus. While We Aqua drags the partially melted statue over to the tavern, the rest of the party enters. After a less than stellar greeting by the party, Sans, We Aqua, Argyle, Zex show the journeymen what they found at this location Strahd's journal. The journeyman is somewhat impressed, but questions the party about where We Aqua and Argyle are. He's directed to the window, where he's able to see Weaqua pulling and Argyle pushing a massive golden statue. Tensions arise between the journeyman and Kyra as he explains what is was going on with the statue. However, the tension doesn't dissipate as the journeyman questions the party further. After a fairly lengthy conversation, the issue is resolved and is chalked up to a misreading of the situation. The journeyman concedes that he wasn't clear about how he was willing to help and that he will provide a seed for a party fund to help the group focus on the reasons that they are in Verovia. The party then speaks about where the next destination and the next tarot card, the village of Rezek, is brought up as the place to head to. In preparation for the following day, Shanks and Atros head into the workshop. Shanks takes the different tinctures from the hag's hovel and analyzes them. He's able to refine them into usable and replicable formulas. Atro spends his time refining the vile arrows that he made the last time the party was in the tavern. They then work in tandem to create and fill some of the vile arrows with poison and holy oil. Once those are complete, Atros begins to make a prototype for a harness. This harness is for Duo and is made specifically to mount Atrus's Eldritch Cannon onto Duo's back. However, the concept winds up being a bit more complex than originally theorized. Within the tavern proper, Weaqua spends their time with their medicine and herbalism kit to make two potions of healing. They also spend some time copying the ritual spells into their handmade spellbook. While all of this happens, Zex heads back into the journeyman's office with the journeyman to have a conversation. They speak about their two encounters with the same Vestani camp. Zex brings up the subject of Tabaxi and if Journeyman has seen others like him. The Journeyman confirms that he's seen others like him. The two go on to speak about Zex's memory loss. Waking up in an alley with no memory of who he was and how he'd even gotten there. 
For several years, he was able to get by and eventually met Argo and the Shuffle Guild. The conversation turns back to this to his memory loss and the ominous message given to him by the Vistani woman, Madame Eva. The journeyman gives him a range of possibilities as to why he may not have access to those memories. He then suggests that Zek should get to know the rest of the party a bit better and that Glad would be the one to talk to. It ends with talking about time and the journeyman's role in the grander scheme of things. As Zex leaves the office, he reaches out for a handshake. He notices that there is a slight glimmer of golden dust floating out of journeyman's hands, as well as his face when he meets his eyes. Galahad, Wiaqua, and Zex eventually make their way into the workshop for help making uh, new equipment. Shanks makes acid and poison arrows. Uh, Galahad asks Wiaqua and Atros if they could help make him a javelin. Wiaqua uses shape water to make one from ice. Atros uses it to make a mold and forge a real one. As Galahad and Wiaqua make their way out back to the tavern area, Shanks shares something with Atros as they finish up. Shanks McNasty is a nickname. His actual full name is Shankis McNasty. The nickname was a mispronunciation that stuck. And has become kind of a way to distance himself from his past. Kyver and Wee Aqua and the halfling bartender sit down and have a drink together. After a few rounds on the house, Kyver tells him his story. He finds out the reason why Kyver hates humans. A nobleman raided his village, murdered the adults, and took the children hostage. The nobleman's son was especially off-putting to Kyver. He speaks of his friend, Todd, the fighting pits, and the troubles within his captivity. Carver talks about having to kill his friend to eat. Lobby floats the idea that maybe not all humans are as terrible as Kyver thinks. The pair bond over giving their party members crap. Carver decides he likes Welby, but soon passes out from drinking after making a fool of himself in front of the journeyman. Stepping over the past out Kyver, the journeyman makes his way over to Argyle and Sirius at the bar and asks what is on their mind. Argyle says he doesn't enjoy being scolded for doing something he didn't know he wasn't supposed to do. JM questions, why don't they ask? Argyle tells him it isn't his nature to ask for help. They end up having a conversation about why the party, especially Argyle, has trouble asking questions for and for help. He then asks Sirius, how is he doing with his new party and offers words of encouragement. Eventually, the rest of the party makes their way into the tavern area. JM proceeds to clarify his stance and how his help will be given and from this point forward. He will provide the party with an expense account to help with everything that the party might need. Liaqua asks JM to upgrade his scimitar. Argyle hands his rapier to JM, and as this happens, Kyber lets out a hard fart, causing Zex to vomit. Atros uses his magical tinkering to mask the smell with a mug over his beak. Zex asks Welby for a drink to clear his mouth. Welby grabs a drink and walks towards Zex. They try to clean him up because he's passed out, but they make more of a mess. Zex brings up the Tome of Strahd and poses the question of where the party should go. 
Shenanigans ensue when the group tries to clean up Kyver, and Atros uses Ray of Frost to cover his hand in ice to backhand Kyver into waking up. Glad nopes out. The next day, the party makes their way back to the tavern, with Zex and Galahad having a conversation about the gods. Kyver wants to drink more, but Zex convinces Welby to make some halfling coffee for Kyver instead. Kyver enjoys the coffee and offers some of the rest of the party. Sirius and Weaqua take him up on it. Atros has to fuck with the coffee by altering its smell, and is successful. The three of them all drink the coffee anyway. All three of them become incredibly jacked up. If they weren't awake before, they're awake now. Weaqua gets incredibly animated and requests Shanks to teach him how to focus. Gladcast calms emotion spell, and it works on everyone else, but not Weaqua. Shanks jumps up and runs him through physical training, trying to burn the energy off of him. Following him like a drill sergeant, doing ladder drills, super jumps, and fetches. At Shanks' request to conjure a weapon, Weaqua pulls forth a flaming scimitar and begins swinging wildly, hitting Shanks twice across the chest accidentally. Weaqua, now realizing that he's hurt his friend, begins to snap out of it and heals him. In the aftermath, Shanks asks Welby for a sample of that goddamn coffee. The entire party, including Shanks, decides that Zek should be in charge and take over the leadership role. He does begrudgingly and asks for everyone's support in that process. Eventually, the party heads out to Kresik to seek more information about what they're up against. Before they leave, Galahad hands the journeyman an extra greatsword to be upgraded along with the rapier and the scimitar. The party eventually makes their way through the pass into the forest uh, after leaving the tavern, traveling north out of the mountain range and back toward the small pockets of civilization. They discuss what they should be looking out for and how they should go about getting the information that they need. Atros suggests finding the marketplace in Kresik when they arrive. Eventually they come to a crossroads with a signpost. There are three signs, north to Kresik, northeast to Vallaki, and southwest towards the Wizard of Wines. As they make ready to head north, the party is ambushed by druids and a plethora of twig blights. The party makes quick work of the enemies and continues their way north, sending out their familiars and animal companions to scout ahead. The road is clear ahead, but there seems to be a tower on a small lake not too far north of where they are now. Planning, the party decides to potentially split into a stealth group and a battle group for a tactical retreat and ambush if there is trouble. Zex and Atros believes that this tower is the tower that is mentioned in their tarot card reading. Splitting into two groups, Zex, Atros, Kyver, Arya, and Shanks make their way stealthily towards the tower using the spell Pass Without a Trace. Wiaka sends franchise with the party as an extra means of precaution. They come up to a stone tower that is old and decrepit, with collapsing scaffolds clinging to one side where a large gash has split the wall. Time-worn griffin statues, their wings and flanks covered with moss atop a buttress that supports the walls. Parked near the base of the tower is a barrel-topped wagon sputtered with mud. Franchise is instructed to check out the wagon. There is a fresh coat of paint on the outside, with brass lanterns and a sign that reads, Keep Out, 
Before moving closer, the party decides to check out the statues at the base of the tower, taking a lesson from the day before. Argyle takes a shot with a short bow at the gargoyles, with nothing happening. Satisfied that the statues will not come to life, the group turns their attention back to the cart. Using Mage Hand, Argyle tries to pick the lock from a distance of 30 feet away. While this is happening, part of the group heads over to the tower to try and find out a way inside. They find a strange looking puzzle lock on the front door. Atros reaches out to touch the door to cast Identify. And as he does, a field of lightning bursts out from the tower. Most of the group is able to react in time to not take the brunt of the damage. Not wanting to fuck with the tower anymore, the group turns their attention back to the wagon. The rest of the party makes sure to give both Argyle and Zex a wide berth while they pick the lock. On this second attempt, Argyle picks the lock. They all agree to back up and use Mage Hand to open the door. An explosion rocks the area and everyone except for Zex and Shanks is knocked unconscious. The other group sees the explosion and rushes towards the rest of the party. Zex casts cure wounds on the three unconscious party members and Galahad tries to ascertain what happened, but it's, it's he's only able to see the lightning crackling around the tower and a pile of smoking wood. Wiyakwa, noticing that Shanks is on the verge of collapse and having a bit of grasp on Sirius's ability, uh, walks over to Shanks and says, Hey, I'm sorry about this, but it's for your own good, and clocks him. Shanks goes unconscious, and the rest of the party freaks out. Wiyakwa just tells everyone to wait, and Sirius walks over to heal him. Shanks is now revitalized. Wiyakwa explains to Shanks why he did it. Uh, Sirius is a, a grave domain cleric, and it's one of those their abilities to uh, full he full healing on a healing spell if someone's unconscious. It's a pretty sick ability, honestly. Um, Shanks says that's two, and leans in to hug him. There are several different discussions that happen afterwards. Kyver, Wiyakwa, and Argyle bicker over the scaffolding. Shanks, Galahad, and Zex talk about what they learned from the experience. Atros shows Sirius what happens with magical tinkering. They eventually decide to continue towards Kresik. They converse with each other on their travels about various subjects. Mostly, just how the whole day went to shit. The party eventually makes its way to an elevated settlement with high walls. Approaching the gatehouse, at the end of the road, they see several guards along the wall. Zek speaks out first, letting them know that they're travelers seeking a place to stay and some information. A guard responds to them, asking what information they seek. Zex tells the guard that they're on a quest, and Kyver chimes in and saying that he needs a place to take a shit. Zex is not overly pleased by this and lets him know. Galahad tries to get him to shut up, but it doesn't seem to have any effect. Miyako does end up persuading him to stay quiet. They wait outside the walls for the Burgermeister. Eventually, an older man comes down to talk to the party, flanked by two guards. The party explains their situation. However, the Burgermeister lets the party know that he would not be able to help them. Wiyakwa picks up that something is wrong and tries to help push the conversation in the direction of helping. Shanks offers to help on the party's behalf. The Burgermeister tells him that a shipment of wine is late in coming. If the party helps to bring it there, Kresik may be able to help them. The party agrees, 
but Argyle bargains to get Kyver into the gates to do his business. The gates open and the host of guards let Kyver in. After some tomfoolery involving wiping, Kyver is brought back out and the party begins their journey back to the way they came. The twists in the early parts of the campaign are bonkers, and I can promise that the next arc is no different. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's been almost three years since we started this up as a just-for-fun type of thing. Now there are deep backstories, so many twists and turns both ahead of us and behind us as well. If you have the opportunity, please check out our social media accounts for most major platforms. Just search for the Medusa's Cascade on the platform and give us a follow. We'll have art and animatics from the early phases of animation uh, that has spawned from this campaign. Also, if you're listening on a streaming platform, especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify, please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it does help get the podcast out there for other people to discover, and we would all appreciate the love and support. We'll see you in two weeks for the next ARC episode. Safe travels. <laughs>